0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. All right, so this morning, this morning we're going to continue in our sermon series on covenant and kingdom. And this morning is obviously the last day of December, and so it's it's New Year's Eve. And so Happy New Year's everybody. I know we were talking about Christmas, but it's New Year's Eve. We're all going to be celebrating tonight when the ball drops. So Happy New Year's Eve. Yeah? <laughs> Woo! Woo! New Year's. New Year's comes with kind of varied emotions. Um, For me, it's one of my favorite times of the year. I love New Year's Eve. I love that it's a time of new beginnings. I love that it's a time for new vision, a time for new reflection. Um, And with New Year's Eve, there often comes kind of this thing of resolutions, right? Maybe you've been thinking about them. Maybe you've been thinking about resolutions. What do I want to stop doing that I have been doing in 2017? and continue into 2018, what, what do I want to stop doing? And then as we go into 2018, what, what do I want to start doing? This is kind of the heart of resolutions. Now, you might be sitting here saying, you know what, Justin, I don't believe in resolutions. I think resolutions are garbage. You know, And the reason why we probably don't believe in resolutions or maybe we think resolutions are kind of garbage is because a lot of times resolutions are based on kind of our own vain um, aspirations and hopes of appearing stronger and more put together in the next year than what we were in last year. Because we look at 2017, we're like, that was a mess. And we look at this new beginning of 2018, and we're like, there's a hope for a future that could be better than 2017. But the reality is, is that when we get to the end of 2018, we're going to be right back here making some New Year's resolutions again, and we're going to be saying, man, 2018, that was a mess. And I hope that 2019... We'll be better. We kind of go through this rhythm every year, every year towards the end of the year. Everyone's like, man, that year was terrible. I can't wait for the next year. As if the date somehow has this like magical, cosmological, spiritual thing that will renew us and push us into a new and better person to the next year. And we always find kind of by January 14th that that's not true, right? Because all of our hopes and all of our resolutions, <laughs> resolutions kind of go down the drain. But I'm not here to bash on resolutions. I think the heart of resolutions is good, and it's pure, because in resolutions, there's kind of this idea that we as a people are capable of change, that we are capable of transformation, that we are capable of growth, and that we are capable of starting something new. And these are all things that the gospel attests to. The gospel says that we as a people are capable of being trained. That we are capable of being transformed, that we are capable of being renewed. <laughs> the thing is, is that we can't do those things on our own strength. We can't do those things on our own power. And so, what I think that what we need to do as we think about resolutions going into this new year, it's an incredible time to hear from God. Because I believe that there are some things in our lives that God is calling us to stop doing. There are some things he says, I want you to stop doing this in 2018. Things, habits, hang-ups, temptations, things that we give ourselves to, that we have given ourselves to in 2017. I believe that there are some good and righteous things God is calling us to stop and to end. And I believe that in 2018, there are also some good and righteous things God is calling us to start and go do. And so we find ourselves in this kind of like season where we can pause for a moment and reflect and repent, and to hear from God. And instead of setting some type of resolution that requires our willpower, our strength, our discipline, we can turn to the God who's loving, who's caring, who's kind, who's good, as we just sang about, and we can hear from him to hear, what is it that you want me to stop doing? And what is it that you want me to start moving towards? And how are you going to give me the strength and the provision to move forward? to where it doesn't have to be just on my willpower. And so I think there might be some things that he's calling you to start doing. Maybe maybe it's just taking some time to pray. Maybe it's taking some time to open up God's word and to hear his heart for you and for the world. And maybe in opening God's word, you're going to find some other things that God's going to be calling to ask you to stop. You're going to be like, whoa, God, I didn't know you wanted me to stop that. And you're going to be confronted by the truth of his word and the truth of his heart. To be transformed by his spirit. And so I think that there are some real things that God is asking us to start and to stop. And I think that the beautiful thing is that the things that he's calling you to start doing in 2018, I believe, can change the world. It can change your trajectory. Maybe it's reading your Bible. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's loving your neighbors. Maybe it's just like, maybe God's calling you to cook some cookies and walk across the street And love your neighbors. Maybe that's what he's calling you to do in 2018. I don't know. I'm not God. I can't speak to you and for you for him. But I know that he's speaking to our hearts. Maybe he's calling you to do something crazy and audacious like start an NGO. Maybe that's on your heart. Maybe that's on your radar. Maybe God's planting that inside of you. But whether it's cookies, whether it's prayer, whether it's an NGO, know that it's all the same in God's world, and God wants his kingdom to come through you. The second thing that we do at New Year's is not only do we create resolutions, but we reflect. And Like I said, in this reflection, we, we look at the last year and we're like, oh, man, that's a bad year. And we hope that 2018 will be a better year. But the reality is, is that I think when we reflect and we look at 2017 and we say, man, it's been a bad year. My question is, what is it that you're looking for? Because if you look at 2017, whatever it is that you've encountered, I don't know what you've encountered, but all I can say is that it couldn't be that bad because you're ending your year here with us, you're alive, you're breathing, look around, there's some beautiful people here, all right? Like, this isn't a bad place to be, all right? This is a, it, the year's ending on a high note, so it can't be that bad. But when we look back and we say, oh, 2017 was bad, what are you looking for? What well, what are you looking for 2018 to provide? And is it the things that God is looking for? Is it the things that God's heart is after? Is that what God, is that what we're seeking? Because I think if we're honest, I think if we were to take some real time of reflection, the thing that we should look for is not the bad of 2017. Because I think we can all agree, there's a lot of bad and hard and horrible things that happened in 2017, as with every year. Those things aren't going away. But what we can look at It's God's faithfulness through 2017. How has God been faithful? How has God remained faithful even in our unfaithfulness? How is God loving? How is God showing up? How has God got us here today, this morning, with one another? Because I think it's good news. It's good news that God has been a faithful God. No matter what we've seen, no matter what we've experienced throughout the year, that we're here today, we still have a pulse And he's providing love and life and relationship to know him. And so where has God been faithful? And so that's kind of my challenge to us this morning as we go into the new year. What resolutions are we setting where we can hear from God and where we can use this season to be a season of repentance? And where can we also reflect back and just be incredibly thankful and just feel incredibly blessed that 2017, it might not have been the best year, but man, It was a faithful year. It was a year where God was faithful, and God showed up in ways that we never would have imagined. I mean, it's an incredible time to be in right now. It's still Christmas time, right? We just greeted one another with, for unto us a child is born. Last year we brought the house, I mean, last week we brought the house down with joy to the world. And we proclaimed that Jesus has come, and that he's making all things new. And I believe that that includes me and you, And that includes our hearts. And so what I want us not to forget this morning is who we are. That God is calling us into relationship with him. That he's calling us into covenant relationship with him. To ultimately go and do his kingdom work. And that's kind of the heart of this whole series that we're on. This covenant and kingdom that God is calling us into relationship, deep relationship with him, and that he's also calling us then from that relationship to go and to change the world and to advance his kingdom where he is king. And so this morning we're going to look in the Bible, we're going to look at Jesus' life, and we're going to look at how he faced temptations. Because I think if we were to look back at 2017, some of the resolutions that we have are some temptations that we know that we need to say no to in the future. And I think when we look back at 2017 and we look at how bad it was, it might be because there are some temptations that we've continually said yes to. And I think that what we can do as we look forward into 2018, as he calls us towards repentance and towards a new vision of his kingdom, is that we can listen and look and see how Jesus handles temptation and how he faces it. And so that's where I want to go this morning. And so this morning we're going to begin in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 3. Now this kind of story, this passage where Jesus is faced with temptations, it doesn't begin with a temptation. It begins just a little bit earlier in chapter 3 with the baptism of Jesus. It begins actually with a declaration. And So what we find in Luke chapter 3 is this, is that when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens split open and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven that said you are my son with you i am well pleased and so this temptation story that we often begin with Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil we often miss this declaration that precedes all of it and this declaration is huge and this declaration comes from god god splits The heavens open, and he proclaims to Jesus, and he gives him an identity, and he says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And then when we move to chapter 4, where the temptations really begin, what we find is that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returns from Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. So Jesus enters into the season of temptation. I'm just going to pick up the other mic. So what we find is that Jesus enters the season of temptation with this declaration of who he is. He's God's son. He's his beloved son, and he's well-pleased in him. He finds great pride and joy in this son of his. And I think anyone that has a son or a daughter kind of, like, understands. I mean, I see little Benjamin. He's just walking around, playing with his trucks, just doing what little kids do, and my heart is full. Like, my son could do nothing wrong. Even when he does something wrong, I'm just like, come here, boy. We're going to go to timeout, and it's all going to be okay. There's, my heart is still full, and there's still, I'm well pleased with him. And when we look at Jesus in this part of his ministry, he's done nothing yet. Jesus gets baptized. God opens heaven and earth to say, you're my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. Jesus hasn't turned water into wine. He hasn't walked on water. He hasn't healed anybody yet. Jesus has literally done nothing. And this is how God sees him. You are my beloved son, who am all pleased. And then he is full. He is full of the Holy Spirit as he enters into this desert, into this place of temptation. And he's there for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted by the devil. And it says, And he ate nothing during those days. And when it ended, he was hungry. I would be too. And the devil said to him, If you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the worlds in a moment of a time. And he said to him, To you I will give you the authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then he took him to Jerusalem to set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Would you guys pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for new beginnings and new hope. And we thank you for deep relationship with you. And God, I pray that we would know that we are your beloved son and daughter this morning. And God, that we would rely on that and that identity to have authority and power over the temptations that we face every day. God, may we rely on your strength as we go into this new year and not our own. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so there's some profound things happening here in Jesus's temptations. And what I want us to do is to look at how Jesus handles temptations and look at how we can then also combat and fight the temptations that we face daily in our lives. And so the first temptation that Jesus experiences is to turn this stone into bread because he's hungry. And we read this, and we're like, that's a weird temptation, right? Like, And I don't know, I'm empathetic with Jesus. He's hungry. I'm like, just turn the stone. Turn the stone into bread, man. Like, just get some food. Like, I don't, I don't see why that's such a big deal, honestly. Like, I'm just like, really? You're going to call that a temptation? Like, he's God. He's made the universe. Manna fell from heaven for 40 years in the desert. Like, bread's no big deal for Jesus. Like, he could do it in a minute. He'd be fine. But what I find is that the devil is up to something incredibly kind of conniving, as the devil does in his temptation. And what you read here at the beginning of the temptation is this he says um, if you are the son of god command this stone to become bread and i think that's where the temptation lies the temptation lies with this big if if you are the son of god he's calling jesus's identity into question Jesus had just been baptized. God had just proclaimed, you are my son who I am well pleased. You're my beloved son. And here he goes out into the desert, and the devil's like, are you his son? Are you his beloved son? If you are, prove it. And here, Jesus had almost done nothing to prove that he was God's son. He just got baptized. He was just obedient to God. He was baptized. He's like, this must be done. And God says, you're my son who I am well pleased. He's done nothing to prove or earn God's favor. But here the devil says, "If you are, prove it." It's kind of like, "I dare you! I dare you to do it. Just, just do it because I know you can." And Jesus replies back with scripture, and he replies back with authority and power with the scripture that says, "Man does not live on bread alone." every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now it's significant that Jesus quotes scripture because in scripture there is authority and power. But let us not also miss that in the scripture he sees what's behind it and that is God's heart and God's love and God's place and identity for him. Because again at the end of the day I think the heart of this first temptation that Jesus faces is for God to undercut Jesus' identity. Can you pull up those triangle slides real quick? So as we've been looking at covenant and kingdom, we, there's these kind of two triangles, these two kind of paradigms that work out about relationships. And the first one is around covenant. And the covenant says that we have a father, and that our father is God, and that he loves us, that he's a loving father. And from this place of, of, of fatherhood, we have an identity. And our identity is that we are a son. And from there, we move towards obedience. This is kind of the nature of covenant when we talk about covenant and kingdom. The second part is the kingdom. And that is that this God that is our father, who is loving, is also king. And he's got some things to do. He is ruler. He is authority. He is just. But from this kingship, he gives to his sons and daughters an authority that when we live in obedience, we have power. And so what I think what's going on here with this first temptation of Jesus is that, God, that Satan is actually trying to question Jesus' identity. If you're the son of God, then do this. And if Jesus were to give into to that, guess what Satan would also undermine in all of that? He'd also undermine Jesus' authority and his power. That's what Satan is trying to steal away from Jesus in this temptation, is his authority and his power. And Jesus, guess what? He replies with, a firm foundation of who he is. He knows that he's the Son of God. He relies on that testimony of God that you are my Son, whom I am well pleased. And he replies with authority and power and rebukes the devil. That's the first temptation. The second temptation, Jesus is brought up to this high place. Sorry, that's the third one. The second one, no, he it is the high place. The second one is that he's brought up to this high place. And the devil says... Hey, I want you to see all of the powers of the earth. I want you to see all the kingdoms that I have authority over. And if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give it to you all. I'll give it all to you. And this is oftentimes when I read this, this temptation, it's the most laughable of them all, right? Because we're like, well, Jesus is king. He's king of the world. He's there at creation. Like, Obviously, Jesus knows that he's going like, to conquer Satan, and he knows how this thing's going to end. Why would Jesus even be tricked into worshiping the devil in this space? Well, one, he's tired. Two, he's hungry. Three, he's human. A part of Jesus we often forget. Like he was born as a baby in a manger from a woman. He's as human as you get. He's got a pulse. He got tired. He got hungry. He's human. And I don't know about you, but as a human, when someone provides a shortcut to power and wealth, even if it's a little shady, I'm probably going to jump on that, right? Because we love power and wealth, and we love shortcuts, especially when it doesn't require suffering. And this is what the devil is offering Jesus. He's like, hey, you want to rule the world? Do it now. Just bow down to me. No cross, no suffering, none of that business. You can have it all, and you can have it now. Just bow down and worship me. That's what Satan is getting at. He's he's challenging Jesus' power. He says, are you as powerful as you think you are? And I think a lot of times you and I, we give into this because you and I, we're in the same spot as Jesus. At the end of the day, we have an inheritance waiting for us. We're loaded in heaven. We have the treasures of heaven waiting for us. Ephesians tells us there's an inheritance waiting for us. And we have all the treasures of heaven. But guess what? We shortcut Any chance we get for wealth and power, any chance we get. And again, Jesus replies with authority from his word. He says this, he said, you shall worship the Lord your God and only serve him. And man, should we put that verse in our hearts. There's so much authority and power in that. We should worship the Lord God only and serve him. You know how many temptations we could kill if we just like had that verse like ready to go in our minds and in our hearts because we're called to worship and to bow down to all these things, to all these shortcuts so that we can get what we think is power and wealth and affluence. And Jesus says no to all of that. He says, no, there will be suffering. We're going to do this right. I know my identity. I know my place. I know my authority. I know my power. And it all comes from above. It all comes from my father. And so I'm going to bow down and worship him alone. Man, that's powerful. I think that's where we need to fix our eyes into 2018 if we just focus on that verse right there. Many of our problems would be solved. All right, now we get to the third temptation of Jesus. The third temptation is this temple complex. He takes him up to the temple, and he says, hey, throw yourself down. We know that God's going to save you. He gets really cunning here because Jesus has been quoting scripture back to the devil, and the devil's like, fine, we'll play your game. I'm going to quote scripture to you. I'm going to quote something that's true to you. And so he quotes scripture to Jesus saying, hey, you know. You know you fall off this building. God's going to save you. And so here, here, he is questioning not only Jesus' identity, but also Jesus' power. He's questioning both. So the first temptation was strictly his identity, the second one was his power. This one we see him testing both his kind of identity and authority because he goes back to the same question. He says, if you are the son of God, like all right, he didn't hear me the first time, maybe I'll give him the second time. If you're the son of God, here's the scripture verse that you know is true, that I know is true. That if you jump off, God's gonna save you. Why don't you just do it? He's questioning his power, he's questioning his authority. And again, Jesus replies with this incredible verse that says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, Jesus replies confident in the covenant relationship, confident in the words of his Father, that you are my son, my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. And he finds his identity, he finds his strength, he finds his authority, he finds his power there. And he's able to rebuke the devil three times in every way that the devil tries to challenge him. I mean, it's amazing stuff. And the beautiful thing is that the biblical authors have recorded this in Luke and in Matthew for us to know how to face temptation, to stare down the, the tricks and the lies of the enemies. And the solution is quite simple. It's where is our identity found? Where are we finding our identity? Because I believe that the devil has the same tricks with us that he had with Jesus. He's constantly questioning, who are you? Who are you becoming? And what do you need to do to become who you think you are going to be or who you are? And man, wouldn't it be nice to just have an answer to that? Just be like, I'm the son of God. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. And I am beloved, and he is well pleased with me. And there's nothing I have to do to earn it. Because that statement that God gives to Jesus is also true to us. We are beloved sons and daughters of the Most High King. We have a good, good Father in heaven. And we also have a righteous and just King who wants his kingdom to come through us and to transform the world. This is where covenant and kingdom has the power to transform our lives, to create something new for 2018. If we go to Romans chapter 8, we find that this is true of us, that we are sons and daughters. He says this, he says, for we are led by the spirit of God, that we are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. That is good news. The thing that I want you to hear this morning is that you are, are beloved, and that with you he is pleased. No matter where you've been, no matter where you've come from, his love and his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness is poured out for you today. And he's ready to transform our lives into the new year. And so, as we face temptations, we're going to be faced with the same temptations as Christ. We're going to be faced to question our identity, we're going to be faced to take shortcuts. We're faced to take shortcuts all the time, right? I don't know about you, but I can think about the number of shortcuts I want to take. Because you know why? To not take the shortcut requires pain and suffering, and it's difficult. And a lot of times, we're just like, I don't have time or energy for that. Like, it's just a real physiological thing. It's not even that we're trying to cop out. It's just that, like, we're tired. We're worn out. Our schedules are slammed. There's a shortcut to wealth and power. Yes, please. Yes, please. We might even mistake that as a gift from God. But the reality is that with this pain and suffering is where we are also glorified with him. We must also share with him kind of in this harder road of serving, of loving, of caring for our neighbor. And the reality is is that we, when we rest in our power, when we rest in our identity, if we go back to the triangles real quick, When we know our identity is from a father who loves us, with that we get authority and power to rebuke the enemy, to say, you don't belong here. Depart from me. I love the end of the Matthew verse because at the end of the three temptations of the verses in Matthew, he just commands the devil to leave. He's like, depart from me. And the devil leaves. And the beautiful thing is that in God and in his spirit, we have a way out. He says that you will not be tempted more than you can bear, and I will always provide a way out. We just have to lean on our identity. We have to lean in on the covenant. The amazing thing is that after Jesus spends his time in the desert, after he faces the temptations, after he comes out, guess where he goes? He goes to the temple. He goes up to the temple And he opens this scroll, and he kind of proclaims this thing. He says this, he unrolls the scroll. This is Luke 4, chapter 17. He says, he unrolls the scroll found in the place where it was written. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to recovering the sight of the blind, to set liberty at those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll and gives it back to the attendant, and sits down. Jesus stands up, and he says, we've got work to do. He's like, we've got work to do. The kingdom is coming, and when the kingdom comes, there's going to be good news proclaimed to the poor. When the kingdom comes, there's going to be liberty proclaimed to the captives. That's what we've been doing all December, so that liberty can be proclaimed, so that slaves can be set free. He says, there's going to be sight given to the blind, and that we're going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When we live from this place where we are confident in who we are, we are able to go forth with authority and power into the world, advancing his kingdom. So it's not just so that we can face temptations and stare them down and feel right about ourselves and good about ourselves and like, look at how moral I am but it's much bigger. It's about God's kingdom and it's about his cause and it's about his will being done and about Satan being defeated in this world. Amen. And so I believe this morning God is calling us to rest in our identity as beloved sons and daughters. Rest there. Reflect there. Find your identity there. That's step one. And then step two is to open our ears and ask God, where would you like me to go in 2018? What would you like me to do? And maybe he's going to lead you step by step. And the first step, you're going to be like, that's ridiculous. And maybe that first step is, I just want you to fast. Maybe that first step is, I just want you to pray. Maybe it's something that you're just like, that makes no sense for what you want to accomplish or get done in this world. But it's like working out. It's like going to the gym. Anytime I try and, like, do a new gym regimen, because I know you're all about to do that too, whenever I go, I try and, like, hit it as hard as I can. I'm just like, I'm going to do the most extreme, the most awesome, the most whatever workout I can. I'm going to do it for an hour, and I'm not going to get out of bed for the next three days. And I think what I've learned is that when I'm going to go to the gym, I got to start real slow. I just started a new thing where I'm just doing burpees, and I just did like five sets of six, and that's my workout. So I'm doing six burpees. I'm taking a break. I'm doing six burpees. I'm getting up to 30. That, that's my workout. I go in, go out. I'm done. It takes like seven minutes. But who knows what I'm going to be able to do at the end of the year, right? Because that's step one. And I believe that our spiritual life and our spiritual walk and journey is the same way. So wherever you're at, God wants to meet you there. And he's not going to ask you to do the ultra extreme, amazing spiritual backflip, whatever, He's going to take you step by step, and we just have to ask God, remind me whose I am today, and what would you have me do today and right now? What we need to stop doing is trying to remember the covenant that God has with us and start living it. A lot of times we say, man, I just forgot my identity. Man, I just forgot the covenant that God had with me. Let's stop forgetting, and let's stop trying to remember, and let's start living because that's where Jesus is at. Jesus lives the covenant as he's confronted by the devil everywhere he goes. He is confident, he's living, he's breathing that he is God's son, whom God is beloved in, and whom he is well pleased. And So as we go forward, as we make resolutions, let's stand resolute that we will rest in the identity that God has given us. And let's stand resolute that we will hear and that we will go towards his kingdom causes, which are listed right here in Luke 4, all right? So with that, I want to say Happy New Year. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are a good, good God. We thank you that you are a good and just king, and that you are righteous, and that you are seeking to set free the oppressed, and that you want your good news proclaimed. And God, I thank you that we are able to be a part of that, that that you invite us into that work with you. God, I'm humbled that you would use us as broken as flawed as we are. And God, I pray this morning that we would hear your voice, that wherever it's been deaf, wherever we have not heard you, God, that you would break into our darkness, that you would break into our despair, that you would break into our sugar comas, and that you would just tell us, you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love and am well pleased. And God, may you give us the courage and the strength of your kingdom to go forth and change the world for you in your name. In your name we pray. Amen.